Shank Bagley. Shank Bagley. Shank Bagley. Hello and welcome to Shatbagley, an old Lincolnshire adjective to describe absolutely anything loose and disorderly, which sums up this Lincolnshire lass quite nicely. In a moment, we'll hear from a tuna whisperer, don't worry, I turned him up, and how to dress a crab, carefully I'd say with those front claws. First though, with it being episode 14, here are a few other things with the same number. Kisses in the novel of Jane Austen. <laughs> Years of age at which Rintintin, the German shepherd dog who was rescued from a World War I battlefield, becoming a Hollywood superstar and appearing in 27 films, died in 1932. And the most coins knocked off a person's ear using a yo-yo in one minute. Achieved by John Higby from the States. So I hope you're okay wherever you are in the world, what with the crazy temperatures and wildfires. It's our busiest time work-wise for Glyn and I, so sorry I couldn't be with you the last couple of weeks. And to top it all, I had, <laughs> I had an injury doing Zumba. I know! Keeping fit's supposed to be good for you. Right then, question. How much do you know about tuna? Probably as much as me. But then I met Julian Lewis-Jones at Pembrokeshire Show in South Wales. Now, if you put Julian's name in Google, it comes up with Welsh actor famous for his roles in Invictus and the Justice League. And yes, it's him. But he's also a proud fisherman and a tuna consultant, as I found out. He's asked to locate a tuna at sea as part of Chart Cymru Science Project. He can find one within half an hour, whereas it would perhaps take two hours. So I reckon that makes him a tuna whisperer. Well, I, I think there's a, a little bit of, uh, of luck involved in that. I mean, we were out yesterday. It was the first day of the chart, which is the catch and release tuna fishery. The, um, I've been part of a group campaigning for that, lobbying Welsh Parliament for us to have, because the, the, the tuna have been coming here now steadily, growing in numbers every year for about 10 years. And uh, we want to, you know, initially we want um, a recreational fishery. Whether or not further down the line we can maybe take one fish um, as part of a very strict quota system but at the moment we are happy to help the kind of science element of it and uh, yeah yesterday we went out on a recce if you like um, glorious day just like today and within an hour I was hooked up to a 520 pound tuna. So how old would that tuna have been because that's a heck of a weight. It's a heck of a weight but what I think what people don't realise is how much food tuna eat they need to eat at least 25% of their body weight every day. Good so that fish um, yesterday would have been about 14 years old. So in the scheme of things, only a youngin? A, yeah, a young fish, yeah. I mean, the, the fish that are, you know, over a thousand pound, they are, they'll be a lot older. You know, the, the world record is a fish of over 1,400 pound, which was caught off Prince Edward Island, uh, Canada. That's going back, I think, early 80s. So the record hasn't been broken, but we have fish of that stamp off the coast of Pembrokeshire. Wow. Yeah. So, excuse my ignorance, yeah. we're not allowed to, when no. you say catch them, we're not allowed, you have to put them back? We, ha we yeah, it, it, it's basically, we, we're part of a science project, if you like, as, as anglers, as fishermen now, in that, um, you know, it, it's early days for us. Um, we don't want to sort of, 
open the, the floodgates and for everyone to go out there and catch tuna and then, oh, the tuna have disappeared. Because that, that's what would happen. So we have to regulate this fishery. So we as, as fishermen, we are trained to do this. We are trained, you know, we, we do a course at the university. We work alongside Swansea University. So when we, we have to, a strict way of catching the fish, and then when that fish, we have strict catch times, you know, you, you can't go over a certain time. Otherwise, if an angler maybe is inexperienced, then the rod will be given over to somebody more experienced. Because we want to, we, we want to cause as less of a stress to the fish as possible, right? So once that fish is, is, is by the side of the boat, um, we then measure it and then we tag it. Every tag is numbered. So if that fish is re-caught, um, and they, there have been fish re-caught, they migrate every year, they come up here probably from about now, sort of maybe end of July, to the coasts of um, Brittany, Cornwall, West Wales. We, they, we know they travel up the Irish Sea, they go to Ireland, southwest Scotland, they come here to feed. So that's why they're here and they, then they go back then to the Mediterranean to spawn. They go as far as Croatia, Turkey um, and then they come back. And the fish, some of the fish that were caught here and tagged have returned the following year within a five to ten mile radius of where they were caught. Good so it just shows that, you know, the, it's, it's amazing. The, the, they are fast fish. They can go almost 50 miles an hour. Jeez. Yeah. So when you hook a tuna, you know about it. It's like hooking a runaway train or a submarine. It's, it's honestly, they are incredible fish. And uh, I feel very privileged, you know, to, to be able to fish for them. But it's taken a lot of hard work and I think that um, it can only be a benefit to coastal communities. Because at the moment, you know, a recreational fishery, which is what we want full-time, if you like, will bring in people because they'll know that the, the stamp, the quality of fish, of fishing that we have over here, like was proved yesterday, is world-class. So we can bring in money to the economy, hotels, restaurants, pubs, whatever, people want to come here and stay. So the, the socio-economic benefits are huge for somewhere like Pembrokeshire, especially places like Milford, Pembroke Dock, you know, places that need investment. So um, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're proud to be sort of part of that. Are they solitary animals then, Julian? No, they're not solitary. Uh, I mean, we, they, they will swim uh, alone, but they, they won't be far from their mates. Yeah, and sometimes like we saw a few busts, what we call busts, which they're busting the surface, and everyone feeds together. It's like whales, dolphins, tunas. Tunas are in the, if you like, below, and um, but they're all kind of the birds. Then will pick off the bits that the the tuna and dolphins, and so sometimes you'll see a feeding frenzy, birds, gannets diving. It's, it's an incredible spectacle, really. I bet. And it's off here, off, off our coastline. I, I filmed um, a pilot, uh, if you like, a TV pilot three years ago called Celtic Tuna which is on your back company now because I kind of at the time the only country that was allowed to fish for them with this chart system uh, you know to, to work alongside science and uh, universities was Ireland and they'd ha had it for about four years four or five years and I I filmed over there in Donegal Bay with a friend of mine from you know and I uh, caught tuna there so, but I, I knew the work was going on behind the scenes and I was part of that group to enable, if you like, the whole Celtic nations, if you like, to, to have part of that, you know, and, um, and Cornwall being a big part of that.
Well, look forward to when finally we are able to do something with it, but you're doing your bit for a legacy, aren't you? Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm passionate about it, you know, and I was absolutely over the moon yesterday to be, you know, the first angler this year to catch uh, a tuna off the Welsh coast. And uh, yeah, I was, I was, my adrenaline levels were off the scale yesterday. I bet, yeah. I, bet. Yeah. I bet you felt you could do absolutely anything after that. I could, yeah, I could sit down and have a cup of tea, I know that much. <laughs> Yeah, because they are, you know, it's um, it's physical, very, very physical. Um, but I'm, I'm lucky; I've, I've done it a few times now, so um, it, it's, a, it's a lot of technique involved. You know, it's not just brawn. Uh, if you think it's just brawn, you'll you won't do it. You'll tie yourself out. You know, it's um, yeah. But um, yeah, just to see them is incredible. Um, yeah, so. Uh, on, onwards and upwards uh, with, with Celtic Tuna. I told you you were a Tuna Whisperer. I'm um, uh, the Tuna Whisperer, yeah. I like that. I'll keep that, okay? Thank you. <laughs> yep, a real Tuna Whisperer. Thank you to Julian and wish him well as I know he was heading for an audition on the West End in London. Everything crossed for you, Julian. Uh, he was also telling me that back in the 40s and 50s, Scarborough in Yorkshire was an attraction for Hollywood movie stars. Talking Cary Grant, Errol Flynn, John Wayne. Uh, said to have visited purely to fish for tuna as it was one of the best places to do so because of the herring stocks. I never knew that. Um, so herring is what the tuna were feeding off, but then the herring were overfished and hence the tuna disappeared. So great to hear projects happening such as that and here's to its continuation. Now, I can't remember, did I mention my sister was getting a golden retriever? And if I did, did I mention... <laughs> that the said golden retriever was coming from Turkey. I don't think I did. Well, it's Happy Paws Rescue is the charity and they do amazing work, rescue retrievers, but also work with other breed rescues too. And they bring dogs over to the UK. Horrendous stories of uh, how they're treated over there, um, sadly. But a happy ending, which saw Meggie, that's her name, arrive on Sunday, having been driven over from there, which took four days, grief lovely girl she's about five years old we think uh, settling in nicely apart from the fact my sister's having trouble with getting her to sit and and lay down unless she translates the words into turkish <laughs> uh, i'll put a picture on and um, i'll remember i'll put a picture on the facebook and instagram of meggie and then you can see for yourself Back to South Wales though first and the River Tyvee in Cardigan to chat to Mandy Walters from Cardigan Bay Fish. Mandy had just finished her cookery demonstration at the Towns River and Food Festival and fair to say she was born and bred in that part of the world. Grew up in Egrisuru and now I live with my husband in St Dogmills in Cardigan. And that is beautiful. We've stayed there. That's near Poppet Sands, yes, isn't it? Yes, on the way to Poppet Sands, yes. What a stunning place. Yes, it is. Now, you and your your husband and son yes. do the fishing. Yes. Um, so, how so old's the son then? Is he? Our son is, Aaron, is 28, 29. And he's been fishing since he was walking. <laughs> <laughs> So my husband and son do the fishing and we've got two boats, two under 10 metre boats, um, CA32 and CA33. And my husband, Len Walters, he fishes for crab and lobster 
and he does some scalloping in the winter and we've got prawn pots in the winter um bit of spider crab uh, crab and lobster all year and then our son he fishes uh whelk pots for whelks in cardigan bay um and they're um Actually, they're landed in a factory in New Quay and they're exported. They um, cook and process them and they're processed and shipped to Korea and South Asia and everything. No. Yes, all the whelks in Cardigan Bay are shipped. Why? Why are we not, are we not eating them? Is that what you uh, mean? No, there's just no market. I will sell... So my husband does the... Sh- crab and lobster and I'll process um, not all of it but the majority of his catch is I sell to I do local produce markets um, hospitality hotels restaurants uh, cafes um, I've had a few great taste awards um, and um, I just try and promote the fishing industry mm. and what we've got in our area. Yeah. So the local produce market goes really well. Um, and it's getting people to eat. Um, everybody thinks that um, shellfish is quite hard to do. But with the demonstration that I've just uh, shown how, how to dress the crab and how to make up a quick crab linguine um, within minutes. Um, It's not, fish is easy, white fish, you know, whatever fish, as long as you've got lemon and butter, that's all you need, Mm. I think. It's such a shame though, the fact we're an island, we've got the most amazing fish coming out of the waters. And most of it is going, yes. not just to what you said, Korea and China. No, it's France, it's Portugal, Spain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the um, prawns that we catch in Cardigan Bay, um, they're, you know, lovely uh, Cardigan Bay prawns. That, you know, they've got a very sought after and um, they're all, they go live to Spain. It's criminal. Or there is a London market, but it because we're so far, it's tr- it's the transport as well, mm-hmm. you know. And you can't; they don't live very. The prawns are delicate to keep, yes. so they don't do the journey very well. Oh, I was watching you so fascinating. I've, I've met you before, Mandy, but I I'm normally a bit busy. But this time, I honed in on your demonstration. It's so interesting because you are known primarily fill your your crab species. yes yes I'm, I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing but the the i hadn't appreciated because there's a hen and a cock cat, um, yeah, crab, crab like like yes. chickens yes and the difference it made me smile and your husband always says it's about the bottom of a woman or something yeah, the um, hen crab has got the big bottom <laughs> and the cock crab has got the big claws and then the v in the middle um, so you get more brown crab meat in the hen crab and you get more white crab meat from the big claws in the cock crab. And the brown crab is the tastier, but people prefer the white one. Yes, that's where all the flavour is, is in the brown crab meat. But I think people, um, they eat with their eyes. Yes. And the, the white crab meat is, does, you know, is the one that looks better. You know, although there's no flavour to the white crab meat, 
but then you saw how much um, brown I had from the hen mm. crab because um, it was it's um, a nice time of year to have um, you have different in different months you know at the moment the hen crab is really good but then go for us uh, going back to going back in sort of September October the cock crab will be better you know so yes it's different times of year for different i guess what they're feeding on and yes. their their cycle yeah. Yeah. And, and, where, and where they're caught and um you know where whether they're inshore or um offshore you know mm-hmm. where the lobster pots you know and the weather as well and the tide those ones you had were, were quite large they they were yes, bigger they than the palm a palm of your size. hand um i try to have some tidy what I call you know like a nice large crab for my demonstrations but then I dress when I'm doing dressed crab because I need the shell um, I do I'll do the smaller crab is that because it's easier not yes, as much easy, yeah right. and because I need the shell right. you know to dress the crab so so when I do a dress crab um, so I will cook a low, a pile of crab. I'll take all the white meat out and then all the brown meat out. I'll prep it all ready. Uh, so I've got a big bowl of white, a big bowl of uh, brown. I'll mix my brown meat in the Maggi mix. I'll use a hand whisk for my white crab to fluff it up a bit because mm. it looks more presentable. Um, and then I'll put it, I'll scrub, wash and sterilise the shells and um, put the um, brown crab meat in the middle and the white crab meat either side. Um, Is that a traditional dress that's crab? How I, that's how I, I do the dress crab, yeah. yes. Yeah. So going back to the ones you demonstrated, they're quite large. Do we know the sort of age they would have been? Um, prob- I would have thought probably seven... Um, eight years. So a good age. Yes. If, yeah. How yeah. long do we know the oldest crab ever? Oh, I, I don't know. Um, but they do get quite big. The cock crab get re- really big, but then the um, the claws are quite hard to crack. Ah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The shell is really thick. Yeah. Yeah. Does it fair to say you eat crab? <laughs> Most of the year, then. Do you ever just have beans on toast? Yes, I do. I, to be honest, I don't eat crab and lobster. No. Oh. <laughs> is that is that common uh, knowledge? I Mandy? see it every day, <laughs> hours of the day. <laughs> um, I do like my macro pate. Um, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's made me smile. So what is it for tea tonight? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm exhausted tonight. <laughs> it's been a long week. Oh, but definitely <laughs> so I not think crap. I'll have a takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Mandy, and I hope she got a takeaway. I have to say, crab, fantastic for us. I've worked with a few uh, nutritionists over the time, and they all say, especially for us, for us girls, a zinc, protein, omega-3. And as Mandy said, the hen crab as the brown meat, which is a fuller flavour. Couple of crab facts. I love a fact. There are more than four and a half thousand species of crab. Smallest 
is the pea crab, measures less than an inch long. Grief. And the largest Japanese spider crab can measure up to 13 feet between its claws. They're the ones that live a long time. Well, I'm, I'm not surprised, really. Up to 100 years, can you believe? Whereas the smaller ones average about three to four. And a female crab only lays eggs once in her lifetime. Mind you, there could be 20,000 of them. Of which only three crabs may make it up to full maturity. We're working at Persia Plum Festival this Sunday and Bank Holiday Monday and the chefs are using plums as part of their demonstrations and uh, staying with that I came across a recipe book from 1935 called National Mark Recipes which mentioned plums so I thought I'd have a look. It says and I quote There's little you can do with plums except to stew them or cook them in a pie. What a load of twaddle. So next week I'll make sure I share with you some of what the chefs came up with. Um, and I know there's more to the fruit than that. I think my dad, I think I've mentioned it before, dad used to have it in his um, Yorkshire puddings. Yeah, as a, as a sweet. Uh, mind you, in the same book, I found a, now I hope I pronounced this correctly, probably Maggie will sit for this now, Rod Grow, so R-O-D-G-R-O, -O, and uh, it says it's a Swedish recipe. It's only quick, it's only a, a brief one. I thought it was quite nice. So it involves a pound of raspberries, a pound of red currants, a quarter of a pound of castor or granulated sugar and a large teaspoon of sieved arrowroot. And uh, say it's from Sweden, very popular. Boil the raspberries and red currants with a teacup full of water and the sugar. Pass the whole thing when the fruit is cooked through a fine sieve and put it into a saucepan with the sieved arrowroot. Stir gently over a low flame till the mixture is smooth like a fruit fool. Then pour it into a glass dish and let it get cold. It is best served iced with cream to accompany it and little biscuits. Mm, sounds a nice simple one, doesn't it? Do let me know if you do it. As always, I love hearing from you, be it via social media or email. And the email is podcast at theshackbagley.co.uk. And if you feel an urge to leave a review, please don't fight it. And I hope you're following or subscribing too, as it does help when I ask guests to join us. So that's it for another week. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Right then, Meggie's arriving in a bit. Now what's it for sit? <laughs>